Hello and welcome back to Huntington Chai Histories. I'm Hanita and in this episode I had the pleasure of chatting with Dr. Jonathan Cooper, project coordinator of the Siege of Haddington Group, which is under the auspices of the Haddington History Society. John teaches conflict archaeology, history and war studies at the University of Glasgow. Let's listen to John explaining the historical scenario during the siege, as well as the group's activities, findings and future plans. Hello, John. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for making time to come and speak with me about all things Siege of Haddington. Pleasure. Pleasure to be here. That's great. Now, before we start talking about uh, the Siege of Haddington group and all of its uh, activities, could you please introduce yourself and tell us about uh, the Siege of Haddington research group and how you are involved? Well, that's a long story. Uh, we can start at the beginning. So uh, my name's John Cooper. I'm um, a student over at Glasgow University. just done my PhD um, on something completely not connected with the Siege of Haddington. However, I did an MLIT uh, back in 2008, a conflict archaeology MLIT, in which I uh, wrote a dissertation about the Siege of Haddington and the fact that the fortifications seem to have disappeared. Mm. And uh, as a conflict archaeologist, we're interested in what traces of this kind of stuff left in the landscape. Um, for one reason or another, I then went across to Singapore, for about went out there for 18 months, ended up out there for seven years. So I did a whole bunch of World War II stuff. Came back in 2016 to find that uh, the local council here were using the dissertation as an indicator for their planning, looking in people's back gardens and when a gazebo needs to be put up, they were thinking, ah, well, is this anything to do with the siege underneath that person's property, which was really good and it demonstrated um, uh, an interest in, in the dissertation and the siege in general. So there was a growing swell of understanding about the siege. And at that point, um, I thought, well, we better follow up on the research and went along to the Haddington's History Society and said, can I help? Can I set up a group? And they've asked me to be the project coordinator, therefore, of a, of a group called the Siege of Haddington Research Group, SHRUG. Wonderful. I, I like the, you know, the use of the acronym. Yes, That's and so people cool. what shrug and for? You, you could see this. <laughs> you need <laughs> to, to create an emoticon and, yeah. and so yeah. on. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's that's uh, brilliant. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so before we go any further, I think uh, firstly we need to set the scene, oh, and yeah. and so could you briefly give us a bit of a background to the siege of, if I'm not mistaken. 1548 to 1549. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. It seems if you walk around Haddington today and you ask people about the siege, they they might think they, they might look you blankly in the face. There was a siege. There was a siege here. <laughs> yeah, and um, actually, it's claimed it's debatably Scotland's longest siege for okay. starters, and it just follows quickly on from Scotland's bloodiest battle, the Battle of Pinkie Cleuch of 1547. And this is during the Anglo. Scottish 
wars. Yeah, so we're middle of the 16th century. We're talking Henry VIII, yes. Edward, and we're talking uh, Mary, Mary of Queen Geese. of Scots, Mary, Mary of Guise, her yes. mum, looking after the place when there's a young Mary uh, being uh, oh, yes. pushed around Europe, deciding who she's going to be married off. The period is known as the rough wooing because right. both sides are trying to persuade the Scots to hand over the Queen to their court, be it the French or be in the English court, to marry off to form an act of union form, uh, through, through the monarchy. So it's um, preceded the actual union of the crowns, mm-hmm. uh, but it was all part of that same grand strategy to link yeah. Scotland to one side or the other. Um, Haddington itself, well, well, the Battle of Pinkie had proven to the English that they could come across the border, head over to Edinburgh, arrange for a big scrap outside Edinburgh, have a big battle, and most of the time the English are winning these things, and then knock the Scottish army out of the frame, and then perhaps persuade the government to, to do what the English want them to do. So that was what Pinkie was all about, and it cost the lives of around about 10,000 Scots in one afternoon. If you thought knife crime was bad this day and age, knife crime in the 16th century is a major, major problem. Setting the bar. It's setting the bar. Scotland's bloodiest battle. But again, when you talk about it, people say, well, they know Culloden and they know Bannockburn and they know perhaps Flodden, but Pinky, Pinky has faded from the memory. Maybe it's because the Scots lost Mm-hmm. and were beaten, mm-hmm. the, and so we've kind of pushed that one to, to one side. However, the English didn't achieve much by having this battle. The guy who was running the shop, a guy called Protector Somerset, who was representing the, the English in Scotland, he fell back to the border, but he had a more of a cunning plan. It wasn't just... Knock the knock the Scots army off the, out of the equation. He was coming further north again the following year, but this time he was going to stay permanently. I see. This was going to be an occupation rather than an invasion. Now the best way of coming up into Scotland is to follow what is now the A one. Yes. Follow the coast road in, yes. and this means that you go through from Berwick, yes. a nice secure base on the border, and you come up through all the fortification, all the towns and things. If you can fortify various places along the route, all the way to the like the Goldilocks zone, just close enough to Edinburgh to pose a threat, yeah. but far enough away to stop the, the people of Edinburgh coming to you. So you're in that kind of zone, and Haddington happened to be in that Goldilocks zone. Oh, yes. It's right smack bang on the A1. It's the main route into town. It's um, it's far enough away. If you're going to put about 2,000 horsemen in town, they can ride to Edinburgh. Very convenient for their Burn strategy. Burn Musselburgh. Have a look at Dalkeith. You Burn know, Musselburgh. You know, they can, they can do stuff. Yeah. And, and um, the idea is for this force to uh, to win over the hearts and minds of the local Scottish lairds in East Lothian. Now, how do they do that? Well, if you've got 2,000 horsemen sitting in Haddington, every night they can ride out and knock on the door of a local laird and say, do you mind if we put up our horses here? Do you mind if we, if we negotiate for you to sell us corn? Do you mind if we ask you which side are you on? Are you on the Queen Mary's side or are you or for England? Yeah. Are you fr- Francophile or Anglophile? And you imagine the, the guy at the door at that time of night going, well... What do I say? You know, yes, you the know. scenario is, is not a friendly one. 
would you not, say? Yeah. Or is it, um, what would, would, it, would there do? be an, an undercurrent when they approach these lads? Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, what would you do um, in the same situation? Uh, would you align with the English? I'd probably align with the person knocking on the door. You'll have to <laughs> do a quick, very quick assessment. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. And, and read the room. Read the, yeah, and then you can bet your bottom dollar tomorrow night it'll be the French and the Scotch knocking on the door saying, I've heard you've signed, signed on to the English side. Yeah. So it's a matter of survival for local Scots in yes. East Lothian and they have to make these decisions. So Haddington is then set up as a garrison town um, and then... The Scottish army, who's, who's uh, recovering from the shock of Pinky, have called in the French to come yes. and help them. So about 5,000 French soldiers arrive in Leith and they, they realise that Haddington is the hub. As the English put it, Haddington would be the daughter of the Scots. If we could hold Haddington mm. and we could keep a garrison in here, then we can dominate the local area. That's right. And so the French and the Scots were coming to, to knock the, the English out of Haddington. So when people think about a siege, you normally think, oh, well, it must have been the Scots on the inside and the English on the outside. That's the normal siege thing. But no, this is the other way around. What we've got is the English garrison with their Scottish allies mm -hmm. on the inside of the mm -hmm. town and the French coming with their Scottish allies mm -hmm. surrounding the place. So it's the other way around. I was going to ask you to explain how this period of time uh, is important in the in the history of, of Haddington specifically and, and Scotland as a whole. But I think wow. you've... Uh, yeah, you've, I mean, this is big time, big yes. time politics. This is European to politics. Absolutely. We've, we've got France involved. Yes. We've got the Holy Roman Empire involved. We've got uh, Scotland and England thrashing it out again. Um, and Haddington is the centre of this campaign, which is going to be happening. Um, from a warfare point of view, yeah. it's the Renaissance. Things have changed yes. rapidly uh, since the even since Flodden, really, and, yeah. and, and the Bannockburn and things like that. Things have gone... Why? Well, we've got gunpowder on the battlefield now. So, th so the way we do fighting changes. And importantly, yes. the way Gosh. we build our forts to withstand artillery bombardment has changed. And what we find with the campaigns in, in Scotland at this time is the introduction of something called Trace Italian Fortifications. Now Trace, trace Italian. Italian. So it's kind of a, it's in the name there as a clue. So this was the plan, the pattern of how to build a fort which would withstand artillery bombardment. Mm -hmm. And the first guys to really think about this was the Italians in southern Mediterranean because they had the, the threat of the Turkish Empire, Ottoman yeah. Empire and all this kind of thing. So they got their head around how to build a, 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 the best type of fort. Yeah. I'm choosing my words really carefully here because this is not a castle. The castles were the old stuff. Castles with big high walls yes. made big targets. Yes. And these cannons could actually hit the side of a barn. Yes. And castles are bigger yes. than the side of a barn. Yeah. So what you want to do is reduce the profile of the fort, of the wall. And the best way of doing that is to sink it into the ground. Right. So now instead of having a big tall wall to try and get ladders and throw stuff over the top of, you're sinking that into the ground. 
with a ditch in the yeah. front of it. So if you're going yes. to attack it, you're going yes. to have to take a ladder, go down the ditch, and then you've got another yeah. big wall to climb up the other side. So yeah. you're dropping it. But the profile of the, of the amount of wall that's exposed to artillery fire is less. It shrinks. It goes yes, lower I see and that. lower. And so you get a squat rampart. The other technological improvement sounds really, really simple. Stop building our walls out of stone. We'll build them out of mud, dirt. Mm -hmm. So you dig that ditch. What you're going to do with all the spoil? Oh, you pile that up. Yeah. And so you produce a rampart and yes. ditch structure. And that sounds a little bit like going back to the Roman times. Yes. However, what it means against artillery is the cannonball will bury itself into the mud rather than smash through stone. So exposed stonework was susceptible to artillery fire, whereas mud embankments, the, the cannonball would just thud into it. Yes. And actually, kind of like a pillow? Yeah, like yes. a pillow, yeah. And actually, it's much easier to uh, fix up the damage. You don't need stonemasons. You don't need to yes. cement Indeed. and mortar. All you need to do is pile the mud back on. And that produces the, fixes the bridge. It's actually, it is genius. Uh, and, you know, we are sitting in the age of Renaissance and we've got people like Machiavelli oh, sitting, gosh. talking about these things. The science, the art of war. And because of the, invent, well, the introduction of gunpowder. So there's a lot of thinking goes behind it. And actually what happens in the end is that they design fortifications which every inch of the wall is covered by a, a cannon. So if you come up to the wall at any point, there'll be a cannon firing at you down the length of the wall. And if you think about that, that is kind of mathematical problem. That's like an O-level math question. How do you cover every inch of a wall with a cannon? Gosh, yes. Um, and the designs they came up with are, um, and this is where we could really do with a, a video, <laughs> but the design they come up with are angular bastions, triangular bastions. Okay. Now, a good example of that is um, later on in history, in fact, when, when you look at Scottish castles, there are lots of them around. You yes. just don't notice them. Tantallon yes. has one of these angular bastions yes. at the front of Tantallon Castle, yes. for example. I know what you mean. Dunbar, yeah. Berwick is classic, these angular bastion yes. fortifications. Fort George is, yes. is an 18th century. Yes. So we get the drift. You have yes. to see the image. Unlike the, the 12th century um, uh, structures yeah, when like they started using and, stone, yeah. Yeah, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. Yeah. yeah. Tantalon is a fantastic example because you've got the old medieval, yes. early medieval fortress, and then they've had to advance the fortifications yeah. from forward and forward because yeah. the guns were firing in it, blowing up this, this medieval fort. So they yeah. pushed the guns back by pushing the earthworks out and they built a triangular thing which you could look at today which is a bastion yeah. at the front of Tintalan Castle. Absolutely, so wow. So, the big issue is though, so where are our angular bastions then in yeah. Haddington? Well, the issue being is that as quickly as they are to build because you're only digging a ditch and piling yeah. up the earth, they are as quick to destroy when you've finished with them. Yes. So after the siege, which went on for 15 months, after the siege, the, the English, before they left, filled in the ditches. And then the French and the Scots came along and they made sure they filled in the ditches and flattened the place because they didn't want anybody else coming again to Haddington to use this built rampart and these fortifications. It's very convenient. Well, it's really inconvenient for archaeologists. <laughs> <laughs> Historians will say, oh, there's no sign, there's no evidence of this yes. fortification left yes. in the landscape. 
we're, that's a red rag to a bull to archaeologists because yes. we look at it and say, nah, you can't just get rid of ditches, yes. 60, you know, 30 yeah. foot deep ditches. That's intriguing Yeah, archaeology should be able to find it. And that's where shruggers come in. Yes. Because what we're trying to do is show to the, through the history, show the archaeologists where to look. That's what we're that's what we're doing. Everything we can find, every reference to the siege and to the build and to the town and where the most likely possible chances, the most likely location for these fortifications are, that's what we're trying to, to work out. Which ties in very nicely to my next question, which is what is the main aim of well, the group? Yes, we, we, that was our main aim, to, to, to identify the locations of the fortifications. But we've kind of gone off track. <laughs> Why <laughs> because, is that? <laughs> because we, because it, was ever, it, was, it just wasn't just about uh, the mechanics of warfare. It was the, we've soon realised we're talking about real life people yes. here. And we're talking about a town and we're yes. talking about society, the social, his- the social history. history. And we're not just talking about Haddington either. We're talking about the whole of East Lothian. Absolutely. In fact, we were talking about South East Scotland yes. at this time of occupation. And there were so many interesting w- portals to go and have a look at and to investigate that we've kind of said, well, blow it. We'll, we'll collect everything if we can. And we'll, yes. we'll look at all kinds of things about 16th century East Lothian. So it's more because comprehensive. Because they all tie into yeah. the siege. Because the siege had an effect across Absolutely. the whole of the area. More comprehensive than just the location of the... Yeah, yeah, the trace ditch. Italian yes, stuff. Yes, the trace yeah, Italian yeah. stuff. But no, we're, we're talking about real-life people. Um, to an extent that we think we've identified the names of the occupants of every house down the High Street, Hardgate, Sidegate of Haddington in the 1560s. Now, I'm again being very careful about my words here. From Borough Records, after the siege and after all the rough wooing and all this kind of thing, Haddington was recovering and taking a bit of a battering. Um, and by the 15, 1550s, early 1550s, so people going around town um, assessing the damage or assessing the potential for paying local mm. taxes and mm. rents and things. And at one point, they went down the high street, and you can almost imagine the chap doing this, measuring out the frontage of every property, and then knocking on the door and saying, who owns this? Mm. So what they were doing is assessing the size of the plot to say how much rent they could charge, so the council could charge, and then who's going to pay? Early form of valuation rules. Yes, yes. absolutely. So they, and what the guy did, obviously, because he wrote about a big list, which we have in the archives here, is um, he, they, they went down the high street, door by door by door by door. So we not only do we have a person uh, and we have the size of the property, but we have the relationship along the high street. And if you plot that list onto the modern high street, onto a 19th century ordnance survey map, mm-hmm. it's incredible how it all fits in. Yeah. And if you walk down the high street today, you'll see the roods set out, the, the, the width of the properties are all about the same yeah. or, or a um, uh, two times or three times that rude length. Yeah. And that is the medieval plots of the of the old town. And this is the frontal, the frontal view plot. and measurements. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so any changes are upwards or backwards. Upwards and backwards. Yeah, that's right. Now that's absolutely brilliant. Now we've got two things. Now we know the extent of the properties and and the um, and where where and where there wasn't land, 
which is as important yeah. as, as where there were buildings. Yeah. So uh, suddenly when you get to actually the John Gray Centre, yeah. and if you look out the window to the west now, it's, it's all kind of open space. Yes. And to our to the east is all higgledy-biggledy medieval stuff. That's right. And mm. that's for a reason. That's We think that's because during the siege, they, the English came along, they looked at the place and said, look, we need about... We're going to put 2,000 guys into this place. So we need property to be able to put them in, bedrooms, and we need accommodation. But actually, all that stuff down the west end of town, mm-hmm. that's not as good quality. Uh, and it's made of wood, and, and, and it's inflammable. And the last thing you want in a siege situation is your properties going up in smoke Absolutely. within centuries. So they flattened them. They got rid of them. And then they used the stuff from those buildings to make, help make the defences. And we think that accounts for the change in the architecture as it comes down the road. The medieval stuff persisted to about here, the John Gray Centre, and then further out west, it kind of goes, it kind of disappears off the record. And it's mm. because of, we think, of this development of the town, this flattening of houses, ridding the ground, they call it, to produce fields of fire, etc., around the place. Wow. So that's the impact on the architecture. The impact on the people is yes. interesting too, because we've got a list of names of people who lived in the town, who owned property in Haddington after the siege. And then you start tracking those names back to before the siege and then ask the question, how did they survive? <laughs> how did you know these people make it from 1540 to 1550 Goodness. in one piece? Yes. And there's all kinds of stories going on there about how they would they yes. align with the English for one day yeah. and then they would go across the Scots, the, the French, for another time and they were all given um, pardons at the end of it because although the, the Scots and the French realised these guys had aligned with the English, well, actually, after the siege, well, Haddington needs to get back on its feet. It's the breadbasket of Edinburgh. Yeah. We need to keep this place going and actually... Those Scots, while well, they were under pressure, we'll, we'll give them the benefit of the doubt. And the names persist from before yeah. and after. So the, the people of Haddington are real survivors. You know, yes. They know how to look after themselves. And they've, they, they've um, come through this occupation, not in the greatest condition, but they have survived the occupation. Fantastic findings. Then. It's brilliant. It's yes. brilliant. Such a personal Absolutely. statement. And if you have a look at the list of names, I'm sure there are names of people around Haddington today who can track back yeah. to those ancestors. Some, who, some who local names. Local Could you names. tell me what they yeah. are? Uh, because we'll I deal to, with a lot of yeah, we'll have family to get history the well, inquiries. It's Coburn's and, yeah. Yeah, and, and oh dear, yeah, I'll, I'll have to get the list and out. And do that. I'll, I'll Absolutely. That. <laughs> I know you have to keep some things secret. Yeah. So, so John, tell us what are the activities that the group uh, has, you know, physical activities uh, mm. and other activities that, that the group has organised uh, or, or been involved in thus far? I mean, you've explained, you've given us the background information and some of the findings yeah. as a teaser. Yeah. Uh, so what have you been doing physically? Well, we'd like to, we, we initially thought we'd just keep it secret. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll go and do the research and see what happens. But then people started becoming interested. Yes. And we were telling these stories and more and more people came along and said, can you, can you do a seminar? Can you do a presentation? Can you, can you share your knowledge? And then as a history society, we thought, well, that's actually what we're here to do. We're here to find stuff and share it with a, grand, uh, with a great public. So um, that's what we, we've done our, uh, 
used to load the archaeological fortnight presentations yes. every year. We go online. Join COVID, we had online presentations and okay. lectures. But this year, we've started to get out back into the field and we've been doing some surveys, some archaeological surveys around the place. Uh, we started off by having a look at um, a very odd lump of ground out in Amersfield, okay. opposite the golf course on the north bank of the Tyne. Um, we were told it was a potato ramp in a, a field, ramp. a potato ramp. Uh, the idea was that uh, the fields were once used for potatoes and you mm -hmm. could load the yes. carts up by going up the ramp and pouring the potatoes into your wagon and taking As it part away. of the Amos Field estate. As part of, Historically, of the, yeah. Yeah, of the yeah. estate, yeah. Fair enough. However, I was thinking I've seen something very similar at Leith in Edinburgh. Okay. And Leith in 1560 was the scene of another siege of which the English were on the outside and the French were on the inside. And the English built these mounds, and they're still there today in Pilrig. Um, around there in the park and stuff. Yeah. These mounds where you put your cannon. You yes. build a, like a mound. And I'm you seeing a picture it. here. Yeah, yeah. And you yeah. drag your cannon up the top and then from there you can fire into the town. Or, mm -hmm. and, and these camps and these forward gun positions were the uh, beginning of the siege works to attack any fortified place. And that lump, <laughs> that potato ramp, looked very similar to lumps we've seen in other siege mm. situations. So we thought, well, we know the... Uh, French and the Scottish uh, uh, army had to have somewhere to stay whilst they were doing this 15-month siege. And we know from the records they had to set up siege camps. And one of them was meant to be at the Abbey yes. to the east. Yes. And there was this big lump. And we thought, well, is this big lump one of these forward gun positions associated with the, the camp that was set up by the Abbey? It made it seemed to have made sense. So, so all the the big wigs could stay in the abbey complex yes. and, and then the men could sleep in the camp and to protect that camp they would need this gun battery position and so we started to we did a, a survey of it and the good news is yes it is man-made it's not natural but there was no dating evidence on on the mound itself to say when it was built so it's still a little bit intriguing it looks like a gun position it feels like a gun position but there's no archaeological evidence to say it is so, so, so far, so good, but we'll need more research on that one. And this will involve the archaeologists. Yeah, of course it does. It's yes. taken this, because what we've got this information from the history book saying they should be there. Yeah. It should be in that location. Yeah. Now we have to have the archaeology teams in to, to prove that it was. Exactly. Um, since that particular uh, potato ramp incident, <laughs> we've found, we think we've identified another two sites for camps in the local area. One is at Clarkington yes. uh, by Letham Burn as it crosses the Letham Burn on the left-hand side. I think it's called, and correct me if I'm wrong now, the Dovecot Mill Housing Estate has just been recently built in that area. That seems to be a perfect position for yeah. the Clarkington siege camp. And there's another one out at Letham on the main Edinburgh Road. Yeah. Uh, again, probably where the Letham Burn crosses the road, yeah. somewhere in that location. So, so what what we're on the, we're what on gave the you camp. the um, what was the indication or the suggestion ah, for well, that? You have to go back to the to the uh, history books. First of all, there's letters being produced by at the time saying it's all right. The 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 Scots have uh, the Scots and the French have arrived and they've built a camp at Clerkington, or they've built a camp at Letham, or they're now encamped at the nunnery. So that there's indications within the written text saying mm -hmm. these camps exist. So that's that's yeah. pretty good. And then you've got to realize well. Every now and then they would say, today we, we 
that we were bombarded by the guns which were at the Clarkington camp. Now, if you go to the, the records, <clears throat> again, go back to those Italians and say, how, when you calculated all this stuff out, what the range of the guns that they were using there? So, so you take that information, put it on a big map, and you can say, oh, well, it's just about in gun range. Clarkington mm. is just about in gun range of Haddington. Yes. And they would oh, annoy gosh, yes. each other. They wouldn't do much damage, but it just it's enough to, to send a few cannonballs over every now and then. It makes sense on the accounts. Then you draw a big circle around Haddington. Right. And funny enough, uh, the Abbey is just about in gun range. Clarkington's just about in gun range. Letham Camp is just about in gun range. So you know, you, again, you've got this zone around the town, which should make sense if you're yeah. going to have cannons yeah. firing into town. They yeah. make sense. Wow. Then from there, especially in the first few months of the of the siege, what the French did was start to strike out from these base camps heading towards the fortifications. Of course, we don't exactly know where the fortifications were. So now we're looking at the records and they're saying the French built trenches and they built yeah. saps and they un started undermining fortifications yeah. and bit like World War One, but as the trenches got closer and closer yeah. to the to walls of the fortification, a proper siege going on. Um, we know for certain most of the action takes place on the south and west side of town. Okay. And if you have a think about that, one of the ideal places for all this to happening is under the rugby pitch. Haddington mm, Rugby because Club. It, it, this, again, ties in very nicely to my um, next question. Mm. And that, that is... You know, what did Haddington look like <laughs> in the 16th century? I mean, I've seen a sketch yeah. in one of the history books. I'm, I'm not so sure if that was, I think it was more 17th century, you know, where you could yeah, see St. Mary's and, right. and all the Lisa's fields, print of that famous sketch. Yes, yes. that's right. Um, yes. And yes. Uh, I'm just trying to picture. Yeah, you're good. That's a good way to, good thing to start out with because we don't have a picture. no. We don't That's, have a picture of 16th sketch. century yeah. Haddington that, that is as accurate. Of course, we don't have any maps either. No. The nearest map we've got is a map, the uh, a sketch map, the Adair map. The Adair map, And you can yeah. see a little triangle. of Yes. Things. That's great because it shows you the extent of those medieval properties within that, within that triangle. And had to, had, the scary thing is Haddington after the siege doesn't really change much. It's almost an indicator of the of the lack of money going into the place, the yes. difficulty it has recovering. Um, you, you see in the map regression that the town doesn't really expand much until 19th, 20th century. It's like, yes. oof, it goes out oh, again. Yes. So, so all the maps are this isosceles triangle of houses, critical houses. Um, so really to answer your question, for me, is what, what happens when the English turned up here? What did they see? What was mm. their town like? And then how did that influence where they were going to put the line of the fortifications? Well, we're talking about a royal borough here. We're talking about a royal borough and it's bustling. It's the it's a, it's a, well, top five in, in the country. Yeah, happening place. The, happening place. Yeah. Lots of economy, lots of money coming into town. Absolutely. It's... It's attractive to the to protect Somerset and the English because it is such a prosperous place, and if they could it could sustain a garrison, and it means that you can make sure all the corn and all the agriculture around yeah. here, all the sheep, 
or the wall doesn't go to Edinburgh if you want to switch off the uh, supply of grain, yeah. where we heard that recently, um, to, to, to Scotland, you know, well, why best you can, this is a real up and coming place here yes. and, it, and it's a valuable place as well of trade going on. So it's a bustling town. Uh, we, okay, we'll have some of that then, yes. the English think, Indeed. For, for, for various reasons. Um, so we've got to imagine these English engineers coming in and seeing the town and going, right, what, how can we defend? Because there is no castle no. in Haddington at the time. There is no uh, town wall. Is not the, the town wall we know and love today it wasn't built at that point. Yeah. But the, the kind of, there was a kind of ditches and at the end of the, the, the rig or the garden of the yeah. property there'll be a ditch and maybe yeah. it's built up a bit. Yeah. But it's more to stop illegal trading than yeah. it was armies. There were ports which were okay. Yeah. Uh, again, they were mainly to stop traders yeah. bypassing the, the, the way into town to go to the market. Yeah. They marked the end of the borough and, and yeah. what happened outside the borough. You could be chucked outside the borough. Well, that meant you were thrown out of the port, Absolutely. out of the gate. Yeah. Um, uh, and actually, they, they were in a pretty poor state when the mm. English came in. Um, there was only two buildings in town where the English thought they could use in any form of accommodation for their offices or make into a defensive building. One was St Mary's, yes, as you can imagine, of big church, yes. massive church, but it was kind of remote and too far out of town. The other one was the toll booth, yes. and every borough town has a toll yes, booth. that's right. And ours is just over the, not where, we, opposite where we're sitting at the moment, but just over by the garden, opposite the Gardener's Arms pub in that that's right. square. It was sitting in there, and that was the, the best building. It had a jail at the bottom, yes. council chambers, and it was pretty yes. high, and pretty well built and, yes. and could withstand maybe some of that artillery fire. So they based themselves in there. Mm. But otherwise, I mean, where were we going to put this ditch and rampart thing yeah. to protect the town? And these engineers actually on day one went out and started marking it out. It seems really stupid, but they peg and string. And yes. they, they dig here, yes. you know, and, and yeah. their guys, they had about, at the time, they had about 1,500 men um, or who were English soldiers and Spanish mercenaries because okay. it's very much an international affair. Um, and the Spanish mercenaries refused to dig. They said, no, we're here to fight. <laughs> um, and so the poor old English soldiers were left to do the digging. But they managed to uh, pull in a labour force from the locals. So the Haddingtonians ah. came along to help build the fortifications. And at one point, we have one letter which says that, you know, those Haddingtonians have done a fine job at preparing the defences of Haddington. Well, that's the local involvement. Whoa, that's, that's heavy. You know, that's, that's, you know, that's them making the decision. Very significant. Yeah. Look, the English have turned up. That looks a pretty formidable force there. They, they're not going to go away like Pinky last year. Yeah. They're going to stay well in that case then. I better be on their side yeah. for as long as I need to be on their yeah. side. Yeah. And we'll trade and we'll, we'll, we'll help and we will put them up in our houses and this kind of thing. So you have that um, problem for the mm -hmm. English. So it's very important to understand what Haddington looked like, what was going on in the yes. town, and how then that sh literally shaped the, the fortification building process. Wow. Um, I'm, I'm trying to picture it in my mind because all I see is the 1819 woods map of the mm, centre of town. Mm, mm. But by then, you know, mm. all the, the buildings 
uh, were gone. established with the yeah. names of all the proprietors. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. modern. Yeah, it comparatively. is. Comparatively. It is. Yeah. It, it, it kind of, we're, we're, we're still working on it, but you've got the isosceles triangle, mm. the long isosceles mm-hmm. triangle, the layout. So you imagine all those got the necessary houses, as the, as the English called them. The big stone houses, two or three stories, being able to, um, have, with traders working out of the bottom of it, but yeah. accommodation above that. Um, and they were going to house the garrison and become the main headquarters. And then we'll put a wall around that. Yes. We'll, we'll put the fortification around that mm. to protect that. We're going to get rid of all the cruddy houses on one, one yeah. end of the street because they, they were incendiary problems with that. So they clear down the, uh, the, the non-posh side. Yeah. They've got the, uh, they try to knock down St. Mary's. And there's some wonderful letters from Protector Somerset writing to the garrison commanders saying, have you knocked the church down yet? You've really got to knock the church down. Oh, you, look, you've got to get rid of that church. Oh, um, well, why? Well, it's actually too far and it's outside the fortifications. So if you leave this great big massive building, very tall building, where you can put cannons to yes. fire into the town, that's going to be a problem. So you've got to get rid of it now. Not one of the oldest kirks in Scotland. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's, it's no, not what you want on the battlefield. No, <laughs> on the outside, Certainly you know, not. you can have them on the inside maybe, Gosh. but not on the outside. Yeah. So we've got, really got to knock the church down. And of course, the commanders here—they they were working against the clock. Not, not only did they have a few men to do the build, but they, their intelligence, their spies were coming mm. back saying the French are coming. The French are coming. Yeah. You know, a big army coming, guys. Yeah. And, and they didn't know it at the time, but they had three months to build this fortification. Three months to build a fortification <laughs> around the town. So they literally cut corners. Mm. <laughs> literally, this Trace Italian thing, yes. they literally cut corners off and, and yeah. things they wanted to build, they didn't build. Uh, and one of the things they didn't get around to, as we know, was flattened St. Mary's. Yes. But they did have a cunning plan, though. Well, they did went and they, they undercut all the, the crofts and all the... Um, all the um, the, the foundations of the church that, and um, put wooden piles underneath them. Mm. And the idea was, as soon as the French moved into the church, the English would bombard the church and try and set fire to these piles of, and, and bring the whole thing down, down. on the heads yeah. of the... Counter move. Yeah, and yeah. That, didn't, that didn't work, obviously, because okay. it's still there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they did manage to do an awful lot of damage to the church and the roof was taken yes. out and this kind of thing. So, yes. And we know subsequent to that, it's taken to the 1970s to get the roof put back on. Yes. And that's all because of the siege. Yes. The, the English did an awful lot of damage. Wow. At, at one point, um, there were some German mercenaries who had, had come all the way from Europe to come to good old Scotland, a bit like the fringe before, you know, when it comes to, to Edinburgh. Uh, but they'd come across and they'd established themselves in a, uh, having their breakfast on, on the south side of the church. And an English gunner had spotted them having their breakfast through the church. Now, even that expression, you know, you can see through the church because it had been blasted, yes. had so many holes in it. They, he could spot these Germans having their breakfast and he aims his cannon, he shot, the cannonball through the church and out the other side and Gosh. disrupted these these Germans their having breakfast. their breakfast. <laughs> yeah, Gosh. very un-Englishman, <laughs> un-English-like to do, but that's what they did. But that little narrative tells you so much about the state of the church at the time. Gosh. And if you go and have a look at yeah. it, it's got lots of patched up holes and uh, you, yes, know, that's and you right. look at the, 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 the fabric of the church, you can almost, it's like a bit like Minecraft, you could take 
a little bit out of chunk at the church and yes. take away the repair, you'd then get an image of what the church looked like at the time of the siege. Goodness. So, so yeah, yeah. So things like that. Um, the Nungate Bridge was up, of course, yes, still, and, and, and remained up, which is kind of weird as well, because both sides thought it was necessary to keep that bridge up standing. Yeah. Which is weird. Yeah. Um, also, the West Port was involved, North East Port, yes. uh, East Port, yes. St John's Port, all these things get a mention in the, in the accounts during the siege as well. Fantastic. So what activity uh, is the group planning okay, in, in, yeah. the, in the very near future? Yeah, well, we've got ELAF coming up again this yes. year. Um, in um, June, we laid a wreath uh, in Lady Kitty's garden to commemorate the, the, uh, commemorate the day that the English commanders gave uh, a holiday to the, to the English soldiers uh, um, because they've been building this thing, to go up to the local hill and watch the French army arrive. So they all go up and onto, uh, onto, oh. the, onto the local hill, watch the French arrive, take a few beers, go up there. At the end of the day, the French approach in, they all come back into town, shut the gates, and the siege begins on the 1st of July. I see. So we, we laid a wreath to commemorate that holiday, rather than the, the fighting, to, to commemorate that holiday. Um, and in Lady Kitty's... Now they're going to put up a... Uh, because we laid a wreath, Blooming Haddington got in touch and said, uh, well, I asked them, you know, what kind of wreath can we lay and this kind of thing. Oh, they said, that's a brilliant idea. Well, let's go on f- further. We'll have a memorial garden. So oh, within the Blooming Haddington campaign, yes. they're now going to set up a permanent, semi-permanent, I don't know whether a garden is permanent, but um, a, a, a memorial garden which features some of the um, iconology of the, of the siege and baskets and siege baskets and yeah. gun, but with lots of flowers over oh. it. So that's to be a memorial garden, which is really important to do. Um, and then Wonderful s- link to history. It is, Absolutely. and it's, it's a lovely place. So the Lady Kitty's right middle between the church yes, on one side. Right. You know, and you've got the St Mary's Pleasance there, that's which is already very beautiful. Very beautiful. And this, this narrative, um, actually in 1548, around about October, there was a, a French attack, a sneak attack at night, and they came from the back of St Mary's, came up the sands, burst their way into Church Street and was repelled in Church Street. About 300 Frenchmen were killed in that sortie. So there's a gruesome, horrible history to that area of Haddington as well. Um, so th- th- it kind of marks that. I mean, it's a great spot to have those narratives. Yes, and, I uh, think tell so. Those stories. Yeah. That's, that's brilliant. Soon after that, we had a siege symposium, which we brought all the academics who know anything about 16th century warfare to Haddington and gave them the plans and said, look, try, can you answer this question? Where mm-hmm. are the fortifications? Came up with a few, new, few more lines of inquiry so we're going to do follow those up over this summer okay another sort of symposium uh what we'll do is do the results of the symposium for the uh, during the archaeology fortnight fortnight, yeah there'll be a presentation yes to say this is what the symposium came up with will it be recorded uh it can be i can Mm. i can ask we can get it online yeah. yeah, no, it's just to inform yeah. the public if they yeah. are unable to attend yes. or if they are interested in the findings, the discussion, etc. You know, how do they go about accessing? 
um, uh, I, I think if, if you're material. interested, if you're really interested, to join the History Society, because we're yes. always talking about it. And you can join the group, you can join yes. Shrug Absolutely. and become one of, the, one of the researchers for this. Yeah. Um, and, and no previous experience of I, 16th century warfare required. <laughs> I was uh, going to ask, <laughs> can members of the public uh, get involved yeah, and how? Certainly. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, join the History Society and then we can, you can come along and, and be a part of the team. Um, and hopefully in uh, September, early September, we'll be having a geophys of the Holy Trinity Church area, the Episcopal yes. Church on Church Street. Um, like I mentioned, that was a scene of heavy fighting. It was also, um, we know it's the, the, the Scottish um, besiegers called it the Franciscan Bastion. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's a gun position for the English mm-hmm. at that point. Uh, but more importantly, underneath the church, there is a Franciscan priory somewhere. Mm. <laughs> um, so we want to know where the foundations of that are. Yes. We thought, well, well, let's do a bit of geophys and see whether yes. we can spot the area, the area of yeah. uh, whether, where the layout of the Franciscan precinct is. And that would be very uh, And then the backstory to that is then we'll make it into a bastion and fill it with English, English guns and things. So we have a better understanding of what that place looked like. Um, so we're going to do that in September and hopefully we can get some results out before I do my presentation and we can get hot off the press news about... Fantastic. About and that. this is for, is it for the fortnight? For the fortnight. Yes, so for the Archaeology Fortnight, fortnight event. Yes. Specifically yeah. or, uh, and if you for pop by, the Shrug group. Yeah, and yes. if you pop by on that Sunday whilst we're doing the bleeping, whilst we're doing the geophys, we'll, we, we'll be happy to chat you through it and, and dis- uh, um, show people what we've trying to find uh, that day. Wonderful. Thank you so much, John, for all this fascinating, enlightening, um, but very, very well-researched uh, yeah, information. The, the team are doing a fine job. The Shrug Group, who are all primary local historians, uh, they're doing a great job at digging through the archives here yes, uh, and in, in Edinburgh. And, uh, yeah, so we're, we're getting an, an awful lot done. We just need that platform to be able to use it and display it and to show it. Um, and ELAF is one way and perhaps in the future we can do our videos, we can we can have a website, Absolutely. we can have a virtual museum, yeah. this kind of thing. I uh, feel very privileged to be a little bit privy to what's going on and, and seeing the work being done. <laughs> it's absolutely marvellous. Thank you. Thank you again for making time to, to tell us all about it. And good luck thank you with, with all your future activities. Maybe we'll do another podcast in the future. Certainly. With updates. Certainly with loads of updates. That's yes, loads of more stories out there. Wonderful. Thank you, John. Pleasure. Well, folks, that concludes this episode. Join me next time for more enlightening conversations on the history of East Lothian. Thank you for listening and goodbye.